I said, don't you realize that buyers now are smarter than they were a couple years ago? And they're just going to wait, sit back and watch if you would have priced it accurately with market, then you probably would have had an offer if it's that great. But that you didn't know what was coming next and why and... Right, let life dictate your timeline. That ego gets in the way of that profit they're trying to walk away with. Location matters. Pricing matters. Marketing, staging, photography matters. Real estate's going to cost you no matter the market. Welcome to the Urban Connect Podcast. I'm Jennifer Ashambo, the broker and owner of Urban Provision Realtors. And I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are your prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing real estate landscape here in Texas. And you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll discuss a myriad of topics, providing you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sell, to insights on the latest market trends, and everything in between. I've got you covered. So sit back, relax, get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level, the Urban Connect podcast. The real estate market has been quite a roller coaster ride over the last few years, starting with a blazing market fueled by incredibly low interest rates and intense bidding wars. Things took a turn when mortgage rates surged to their highest point in two decades. The average rate for a 30-year mortgage more than double between August 2021, sitting at 3%, and by August 2023, skyrocketing above 7%. In October 2023, interest rates briefly crossed the 8% mark. Understandably, this caused a slowdown in purchasing activity. However, due to limited inventory, home prices continued to remain out of reach for many parts of the U.S., including parts of Texas. As I wrap the final episode of 2023, it is fitting to share insights with our listeners about the discoveries and lessons learned by buyers, sellers, and real estate professionals as they navigated the wild real estate landscape this past year. These lessons will carry significant weight in shaping consumer choices and will have the potential to transform the entire industry in the coming years. This leads me to introducing my guest. Joining me today is a fellow real estate broker, instructor, and my dear friend, Robbie English. Robbie holds a Texas real estate broker's license, many advanced real estate designations and certifications, and is the broker and owner of Uncommon Realty. He is a national real estate instructor, a speaker, and a senior instructor, and a real estate education content writer, and is the owner of Texas Real Estate Academy. As a real estate broker and instructor, Robbie is intimately well aware of sideliding norms, often leading to learning valuable lessons that necessitate change. When considering this final episode, I aim to invite a guest who comprehends not only the roller coaster ride that both consumers and agents endured, but someone who would understand the imminent shift in real estate and the landscape on the horizon. So Robbie, I'm excited to have you. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to be. It's kind of a roller coaster ride. I mean, we've had this roller coaster for what, three years, but this last year was kind of different. It did actually caused a lot of people to rethink what they were doing and how they were going to react, whether they were going to buy a new home or they were going to stay put and see what changed with the market. You know, you've had the, I'm going to go back to 2020, just we didn't know what we were doing. We were in the middle of a pandemic. We didn't know what that would meant, right? And then 2021 and 2022 were so different. Like 2020, 
one early market was crazy. And then end of 2021, the market wasn't. And then it shifted where 2022 early was nothing, but 2022 was crazy. Like it was like, it was this polar opposite. You didn't know what was coming next and why. And there were no clues to what was going to happen next. And we had a whole lot of demand moving into our area from all places. And it was almost like just a feeding people wanting to come in. And then they were rethinking their decision. You know, we had a lot of clients choosing to move to our area that had not even verified with their employer that it would permanently work from home. It was really an it was an interesting time. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this year when interest rates started to surge and, you know, got more expensive. I think back to when I got into real estate in 06, I've seen some kind of weathered storms, but I haven't seen this slow. And I went back to someone who endured the 80s, you know, of slowness at 18% interest rate and asked, was it this slow then? And she said, absolutely not. Right. And it's kind of interesting because typically when we see buyers enter in this type of environment, it are it is those people who are having to move. They don't have a choice. They've either been relocated or the size of their current home or property that they're renting is forcing them to find other shelter. And those people are having to deal with the interest rate, which, you know, is a temporary issue. I'm glad you said that because I feel like the people that I've worked with this year, the first thing that they say is, yes, I don't really want to buy at whatever the interest rate was at that time, but they know it's not a forever interest rate. And it's hard because most in the last 20 years, interest rates have hovered between two and 5%. And that's been the norm for a lot of buyers, a lot of of the buyers who were you know, just born or like, you know, in diapers or in grade school, or they don't know that's not the norm of interest rates, right? So someone who's a little bit older goes, oh, I remember this. Rates were higher, you know, in the late 90s. And this will come back down again. Absolutely. Because you and I both have mortgage experience. And I remember in 2003 and 2004, having seven and a half and, you know, seven and three quarter rates and being just the standard and people really having any issue with it. They were just, they had to move, they had to buy. And it was just the norm at that time. And, you know, then things started to shift. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have that 20 year downturn of, you know, really incredibly low rates, which I think that was our problem. We They were down there too long. So. Right. And that changing market, you know, there's always things that people have to really do to make their properties, you know, compete and get that buyer to be interested in that property. And it's a little bit more than, you know, sometimes location and pricing. It really comes into that marketing and staging that property that really matters. And you're one of those masters at doing it because you can really get people's attention and keep them, you know, really focused on the property. And it's an amazing uh, situation to have to be in in a market like this because you really do have to look at the other reasons you're going to move and not just focus on the Right, exactly. And that kind of segues to... Like, what did sellers learn in 2023? Oh, 
my goodness, one of the hardest lessons that sellers had to learn was that timing and time can be your enemy. And either they took too long to make the decision and they were expecting the 2020, 2021 pricing, or they had too much work that they needed to do, which caused a little bit of a delay in going to market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the ebb and the flow to market can happen in, in days or a week. I mean, it's so crazy how fast that could shift one direction or another. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had put a house on the market and I've been watching it and I've been talking to a client and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, we should be good. It looks like it's still moving. We put the house on the market and like the next week it's like crickets. It's slow. And it's not always price. And a lot of people think it's just price and it's not always price. You and I do a very different style of comparative market analysis for our sellers and for our buyers that really gets a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. True. And there can be other factors that can affect, you know, properties not selling as timely. And we all got used to the putting it on the market and having 20, 30, 40, 50 offers within hours, if not days. And, you know, it's kind of coming back to the normal balanced market. And, you know, I always say that in a market like this, um, you know, we come off this, you know, very high roller coaster where sellers were in charge, I would like to say, they got to pull a lot of the strings of the, of um, what happened and the buyer would say, okay, sure, I want that. Um, even they did, they didn't want that. Um, you know, I, I think a seller realized they kind of have to let the ego go, right? Because that, that. The ego gets in the way of that profit they're trying to walk away with. Absolutely. And their, their listing agents have to really prepare them for what's going on in the market and help them set those expectations because that ego can really drive them to not want to negotiate on deals and really hold firm and hard to, I'm not going to spend any money or I'm not going to you know really negotiate this. Everybody wants my property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like that conversation you have to have. You have to convert yourself to a buyer when you're a seller. You have to see your home in the eyes of a buyer because you, you as a seller, you're like, oh, my home is beautiful and lovely because I've done it all. And that's great, but you have to think about a different perspective. Right. Sellers always think that their house is the best one out there and everybody should want to be there. And a lot of them, they have done a great job, but getting them out there and exposed to what is currently their competition and really letting them see, as you were talking about, turning them into a buyer as well, because they have to know their competition and have to understand the pricing to really have faith and buy stock in what their agent is saying. Do you ever set up buyer searches for your um, a search for your seller client and let them see what the inventory looks like there that would compete with them. Absolutely. I also want them to see the new listings that come on the market. Mm-hmm. And take them by there and let them see inside. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> I often tell them that, you know, their, their home is now a house that is on the market and they have to be as competitive as a store owner in a shopping mall. They have to walk around and know what's out there, know what other people are pricing their homes at. And, you know, if it's not priced right, it's only going to help the competition sell. 
And if that condition doesn't meet standard, it, it's only going to help the competition. You know, and during these last few years, location, pricing, marketing, none of that mattered. It was like you, like you could stick a lockbox, you didn't even stick a lockbox. You could just say, stick a for sale sign out and you had 30 people lined up in the door, right? So and then you probably had 50 offers from those 30 people, right? Um, it was, it was, it was nuts. But um, in a balanced or in a, in a buyer's market, when we're not in that crazy, you know, historical crazy Location matters. Pricing matters. Marketing, staging, photography matters. Yet condition matters. And, you know, I've seen, you know, now we have an abundance of inventory in the ground. And there's a lot of, as we talked about, um, sellers that are still stuck in that, you know, old mindset that, you know, someone will still want my house. They're, they're stuck in that mindset that, um, it, they will buy it regardless because that's what happened a few years, years ago. Doesn't matter price or what it looks like. Well, that's not the case. Those houses are still sitting. Those prices have diminished extensively. And uh, the ones that have come on, you know, even the subpar location with their price right and their staged right and, and taken care of are selling faster than ones that are in the prime location. Right. I have agents who don't understand being on the market 60 days. They've never lived through a market where six months is the average days on the market. And they don't understand that. Why haven't we already closed on this transaction? What am I doing wrong? And, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer for properties to move through the sales cycle. You know, it's it's now agents are going to go back to having that listing conversation, right? And saying, you know, this is where we should price. This is our range. But this is what should happen in two weeks if we don't have an offer or three weeks if we don't have an offer or we don't have any showings. You know, I don't remember doing that since probably 2007. We didn't have to. Right. We've prepared our um, sellers for multiple offers to, you know, being available and dropping and getting out of that house when a showing wanted to happen. And, you know, a lot of us really wanted our sellers away from the house for the first at least four or five days as much as they could be so that we could facilitate as many showings as possible. And now they're, you know, we're having to, you know, celebrate each showing and, and say, woohoo, we got another one and, you know, really push. And, you know, I think it's making them a little bit more thankful and a little bit more realistic when it comes to negotiating. It does. It does. And I think that now when we have those, the movements in price and adjustments and marketing, when we start getting that slew of showings, we have that celebrate seller that's celebrating alongside with us. They're like, oh yeah, you were right. Like it's like, you know, we were right before. It's just now you see it because, you know, we're not in the crazy market we were before. Right. Yeah. Always having a plan B. Exactly. Always having a plan B. Like what does plan B look like? Is it leasing? Is it dropping your price? Is it taking off the market for 90 days or 60 days and waiting it out? You know, what does it look like? Yeah, I often tell agents that really when it comes to price changes, it should be really because of a changing market and not because you overprice the property and really educating the sellers that they're going to have a better response from the market if it is properly priced. And you and I talk a lot about 
pricing in our day-to-day activities, both together and with our individual agents, trying to make sure that they understand that, especially in a changing market, it's the price and the condition that really matter in the properties and making it look the best for the buyers to come through. I just had the conversation with the agent the other day. She was trying to price a property. She was like, it's going to be beautiful. It's a new construction. It's it's amazing. And people are going to want to buy it. And I said, why are you going to overprice it above where everybody else is? I said, don't you realize that buyers now are smarter than they were a couple of years ago? And they know what the market is. So you're alienating those buyer clients. They're just going to wait, sit back and watch if you would have priced it accurately with markets, then you probably would have had an offer if it's that great. If it is that great, then you're going to have multiple offers that come through when it's priced correctly. And you allow those buyers to just bid up the price because they've bought in. Exactly. Exactly. So even good things is kind of what I'm getting at there. Even good things will take a long time to sell if it's not priced right or if it's not marketed or staged right. It's just like, I I I despise markets, what we just went through, because I feel like it allows an agent or a realtor, it doesn't matter who you, what category you fit in, to do less work and get compensated the same amount, right? And number two is, is then that's what the consumer expects later is for you to duplicate what you just did. Like give me multiple offers, and have this time really fast. Well, the next time we go to sell your property, it may take, you know, two months longer or it may not, you know, it just depends on the market. Right. It's not setting those expectations correctly. And, you know, an agent typically thinks that the being able to say sold in multiple offers is a great thing, meaning that they churn really hard and a lot. And what I've found with consumers is they think that multiple offers meant you just put something out there and more people came and made offers and you didn't have to work as hard. (laughs) So I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Multiple offers because in the last, I would say, not this last year. So let's let's go back. Let's go back uh, early part of 2023 through 2021. If an agent said, I sold your house and sold a house in multiple offers, everybody did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that was the market. We had a major shortage, right? Anybody who's saying, I sold a house in multiple offers today, did really good. They priced it right. They staged it right. They, photo, they had amazing photography. They marketed it properly. They did their work. They put in the extra elbow grease. Right. But someone who said that the two and a half years prior just put the house on the market and multiple offers came. Yeah. And buyers weren't looking necessarily at the condition as much because they they were looking at things that they could change and fix and make it more conducive to their living arrangements. They just were looking for a new place to go. And, you know, we saw a lot of people, especially right after, I'm going to say the word, COVID, (laughs) move to areas and they were just realized that their current housing didn't provide them with all the stuff they needed when everything got locked down. And they were making some crazy decisions just out of that sense of freedom and what am I going to do? 
people made some big movements. Either they moved outside the city or they got a bigger house. And now we're going back to a different um, mindset with work. You know, a lot of people are going back to work. We don't need that. You know, a lot of people make some rash decisions in times of panic thinking that this is how life's going to be for the remainder of their years. And it's almost like a seller needs to sit back and think before they, you know, make that rash decision to, you know, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars above list. How long is this really going to last? Because if we look at it, the pandemic kind of COVID lasted a year and a half or two years before we got back to some sense of normalcy. And it was, you know, the drawback was that it didn't matter what was out there. It was all selling. You could probably even see that some homes got offers in before uh, pictures were even on the MLS and stuff. But now um, sellers are really having to pay attention to pricing correctly and really having some kind of trust in their agent that, you know, if they price 10% over market, that they're going to limit those buyers to what is it? 30% of the buyers in the market. And if they even go 15%, they're cutting them down to 10% of the potential buyers out there. And it's really important to, you know, watch and see what the market value is and be able to forecast based on the last 12 months where the market is going. Well, it's almost like, you know, an agent, and we'll talk about this later, but agents are going to have to get into the habit of looking back a historical data, list price, sell price ratio, where did it start? Where did it end? And showing that data to their consu- to their to their seller client because, you know, that's proof in the pudding what the direction it's going. Um, and, you know, you ended up selling there. So why start higher? Um, we already know interest rates are much higher. Right. Showing it and explaining it accurately and adequately because... Agents have to make sure that their consumers understand the information they're sharing and not just throw facts and figures at somebody without saying, this is how it applies to the market today and what we're going to see going live with your product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that translates to days on market. So, yeah, I think we could probably talk about this for days, I'm sure. (laughs) Of course. So is there anything else that you think that sellers learned that we didn't already discuss that you think that that they'll, it'll change how they navigate. It'll change how they navigate. And hopefully they will have learned that it also matters the agent that they choose. They have to be educated and experienced and have the whole package and not just, you know, somebody flashy or somebody, you, you know, you met in the grocery store that you didn't recently. Or I'm going to, I'm going to toss another one out there. Someone who says, um, I can sell your house, but I think I can sell it at X and X is an inflated dollar amount. Just get the listing. Absolutely. Buying the market. Agents that buy the market, you know, it's really, they have to come up with different things to talk about, right? In this market, they turn those sellers into unhappy people. And they do, they do. Because then you, you, if you say I can sell it for, that's what the, the seller's going to expect. And right now, I always say there's, there should be no expectations at this point. because. Until interest rates start to drop, when we get to a more balanced market, um, there's no, should be no expectations at this point. Okay, so what did buyers learn that will help them navigate in the in 2024 and beyond? The cost of real estate. 
both in the purchase and the cost of home ownership. Both of them, you know, as interest rates have risen, the cost of purchasing and the cost of home ownership has risen as well. And in this current market that we're seeing with the higher interest rates, the buyers aren't being able to buy as glamorous of a home and they're having to stick more to the lower end, which is actually not a bad situation because once we come out of this and if they're able to refinance, they're even further away from the concern of being house. Right, right. And they'll maybe have some, when we go back into our next, um, I don't want to call it pricing surge, when we go up, when we have some appreciation, they're going to be happy that they were in that predicament. Right. I mean, although it has reduced their buying power, it, you know, hopefully it hasn't completely sidelined everybody, but they really are looking at the costs and the sellers, you know, are having to cover some of that cost and really takes an agent to keep the deal going or save the now you're talking about kind of sitting out and waiting and, you know, it's time value of money, right? So the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets or the longer you wait. Like you said your buying power diminishes and you can't buy more, it's like you said. Right. I mean, especially if you've got someone who is renting versus owning and they're complaining about, you know, they were complaining about the 6% after seeing the 4% and then they're complaining about 65 and 7 and they're not actually realizing that the money they're paying in rent every month is basically 100% interest. It's not going to buy down their, you know, principal of their current mortgage. It's just they're giving it away. And really having to think about, is it a good time to buy? Well, it is when you need to buy. And if you're waiting for that perfect market, you're always going to be waiting because you're going to sit there and go, but what if it goes down tomorrow? What if it goes down? Sometimes you just have to make them. So I I have a couple of completely sideline buyers, whether they bought and the interest rate surged above and they couldn't afford it. They lost their job. They are investors and it didn't make financial sense for the money that they had to buy and the profit they wanted to earn. So they just were completely sidelined, right? So that's, you know, there's going to be a lot of pent up demand when interest rates drop. And I worry for buyers again. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And real estate's going to cost you no matter the market. If it is a high interest rate, you're going to pay now. But if it, you know, or if it's a high interest rate market, you're paying over time. Where if it's a low interest rate and competition is really high, we saw people paying, you know, 50, 60, 100. $200,000 over what the list price was simply to be able to get a home. So they were dumping the cash to buy something during the low interest rate instead of keeping that cash and buying something more realistic, having a higher rate. And going into 2024, you know, we're, we're thinking we're going to see a, a lowering of the interest rates. But if they've already bought a house, are, are they going to skip that whole, you know, buyer run into the market and just be able to refinance when they see a considerable savings in their interest rate? Or are they going to sit there and wait? You know, job situations, it is what it is. If your job has changed, then, you know, you have no other choice but to be sidelined. But if it's the scarcity of making a decision during a high interest rate, then you're going to have scarcity when the interest rates fall. 
Yeah, yeah. You're you're correct. I mean, we had in the early time you talked about all the money that people threw at housing. I remember there was a time, um, there's a master building community in southwest part of Boston and has roughly six thousand homes and there was one week that there was no inventory on the ground. There was not even a single listing in this community. And this listing, uh, this community usually has about 60 homes for sale at any given time um, during the spring. And so there were a steady stream of buyers waiting for this, anything to pop on the market. And I remember this one home came on the market at $600,000. And the buyer that made the highest uh, offer uh, at $900,000, they made an offer $300,000 above list price, 50% more than asking price in one. And so those are kind of the, the I, I call it poor judgment. I mean, they got their house, right? But now or we've kind of, you know, our market has um, recouped a little bit and it's um, re- recovered a little bit. So our prices aren't that high. Will they go back that high again? Who knows, right? But you know, there were buyers in that era that could, didn't have that financial means. And then we had rate hike. And then like, it's, I think we're going to have a, a large pent up demand of buyers from different eras in the last couple of years who come in. And we haven't talked about international buyers. We also have a, another little segment of the market that I think the buyers are really going to be looking at in 2024. It's some of those assumable mortgages. And they may be able to find a lower mortgage by coming up with some cash at closing and then assuming someone's mortgage. Because, you know, we do see a lot of VA, you know, individuals who do have to turn around and move because they are PCS to another location and life still continues to evolve. And we're going to see probably of what mortgages that are out there that are assumable they may be a whole lot more attractive and you may be looking for a different home. It won't be just, you know, I want it to look like this and look like that. What's out there that's assumable that I can save some money, pay some money up front and, you know, really ride out, you know, the market and see where it's going to go till we have another, you know, two, three percent if they have that time. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, interest rates are, oh, that historically low is gone, right? It's going to take years to return if they ever return. So I always say, this is my analogy when it comes to interest rates. They can go up so fast, but they take a very long time to come down. And it's like a broken leg analogy. You can break your leg in a flash, but it's going to take a year or so to heal. So in our situation, they've, they've two years ago, they one started to go up. And it's probably going to take another two or three years for them to come back down. But now in this market and going into 2024, those cash buyers are going to make out a lot better than when the interest rates are low and the prices are high. And those individuals that are holding on to cash and thinking, oh, well, you know, they're listening to the news and they're talking about how real estate's not great. It's the perfect time for them to either lease their current home, figure out a situation and go ahead and make that either move up or move, you know, down to a smaller square footage. And those people are going to make out very well who are spending cash. True. What I like right now is that buyers have time to shop. (laughs) I mean, they, they have time to like search out their perfect house and really make sure they want to buy it because that hasn't happened for buyers in the past couple of years. 
It has not. And they haven't really had their own side of the negotiations either. They've just been having to do whatever to get the home in a lot of extent. And now they're really being able to negotiate and get things covered, and, you know, whether it's sell or buy down for points or, you know, who's paying for the title policy. All of those, the buyer has more time to shop, as you just said, but they also have a more realistic picture and, you know, they're going to get more on that negotiation side than previous markets. They are, they are. But, you know, you always have to remember that we still have, we'll still have some sellers that will still be in, you know, I call it dark ages or old times where they still haven't really adapted that they have to negotiate or they have to um, sway a little bit because they're, they think that they're still in control. I mean, the, the market could shift and it could take almost six months to a year for a seller to really wrap their brain around that the market has ebbed and flowed. So is there anything else that you think that buyers have learned? I truly think that buyers have learned that they're going to have to depend on their agent and they're going to have to really get some of that um agent experience into the mix. And we're in a time where there's so much information out there and a lot of buyers think, and I'm going to put that in quotes, think that they have all of the resources to formulate a perfect decision. And it's really listening to their agent. And, you know, you're one of those agents who really sets those expectations that you don't buy a house based on the price per square foot because every home is different. And I think that that's really going to take listening to that agent and trusting them in listening to their guidance. And, you know, for the, for the buyers that think they know it all, they'll have to probably pay for that in some respect. They will. They will. Use, I mean, usually they pay for it in some form or fashion. And I feel like the, the next transaction they're represented, whether they're selling or buying, because they realize that they made that mistake. But I agree with you. Um, I think we're going to see representation change um, across the board, not just from buyers and sellers, but um, the agents are going to have to adapt and what they give. <clears throat> no, I think that some of the things that, you know, we're talking about buyers and sellers, and I think that you know, there's a segment that we kind of really covered and that's what's been learned by all. It kind of doesn't matter what category you fit in. Um, you know, the person who is the least desperate always has the upper hand when negotiating. You can smell that desperation churning in the water. Absolutely. You can. It's, it's like, hold all your cards to your chest. You know, don't respond too fast, right? You know, in the past several years, a buyer say yes I'll take it when three years prior they wouldn't have they're desperate right so but now we have it where sellers are getting desperate right and now they're they want to they need want or need to sell their house so the buyer has the upper hand when they're negotiating so and there's there's a lot of negotiating that is going on now and that I think everybody is learning that they're having to to do that negotiating and I don't think that one party receiving back a counter offer needs to just walk away and have the ego that you talked about earlier because, you know, the the back and forth in the current market is not a bad situation to, to do. And 
whether it's agents or consumers, really understanding that negotiation is part of that give and take. And it's part of understanding that, you know, it's got to be probably more so now everybody's looking for a win-win and not having to stick it to the other person as much. I've always said there's no winner, there's no loser. It's like both sides have to give to achieve that common goal. So when one gives and the other doesn't give, generally it's there's still animosity in the transaction. There's going to be something else later that moves it into a sideways um, situation versus, versus, you know, once everybody... <laughs> Everybody has their expectations and wants something out of a transaction. But once both sides give and lower that expectation slightly, then everybody achieves the common goal and it's kind of a happier transaction. There's no people in that. And saying, well, I gave and this person didn't. Both sides have to give to achieve a common goal. That's a good one, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Sometimes that I have some really good thoughts, but <laughs> Yeah, you do. I'm gonna have to, you know, take that one from you and use it. I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> and I also think that, you know, there's so many things as you know, I know we both have a mortgage background, right? So we understand how mortgage rates are determined and we understand what what um what affects them, right? So, you know, GDP, job reports, or consumer price index, like all these different markets, international markets affect interest rates and when we're dealing with arms. So, you know, interest rates can go up quickly, but they're like we talked about, we're not going to go down quickly because let's say the GDP's look, let's say consumer price index is looking good, which is looking better. Let's say job reports looking a little better. But let's say the GDP is not looking good. Well, the Fed's not going to reduce interest rates until they all look good. And I don't think that that's an understood with a consumer, whether you're a buyer or a seller. They're just like, oh, well, GDP is great. Well, that's just one third of the battle. Absolutely. Buyer confidence also has to kind of come in there as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, we talked about this earlier about not stop timing the market. You know. Um, like there's just buy when you need to buy, create your own timeline, buy your own house or sell your own house. I, I don't know if, if you agree with me, but you know, historically, let's look back. We always had these seasons. We had spring seasons, get your house in the market for spring, for summer. And then, oh gosh, we got to get it on before school starts because you know, the fall hits, nothing sells. Right. So, but we've had markets where January, December, it's been hot. It's, and there was no pandemic. Right. So, we need to, I think that buyers, sellers, and agents, all three of us need to get out of the habit of trying to time a market or a timeline and just say, sell when you need to sell, buy when you need to buy. And, you know, the inventory you have available is your inventory. <laughs> right. Let life dictate your time and let it really work with you. For those people that said, hey, I'm going to sell my house, but I really have to wait till the summer. Why do you have to wait till the summer? Why is it that you're wanting to put it on when you think there's more competition? Why don't you let your home shine and fit the timeline that works best for you, your family, and your goals, whether they're career or personal? And, you know, it's it's trying to put everything in a box. Well, during the winter, there's fewer buyers out there, but the buyers are generally more serious buyers. If someone if someone's out there looking in from November to February, they're not just halfway looking; they're really looking. 
because they need to find a house to buy. But there's a lot of people out there in the spring and summer who are just kind of casually looking because it's the spring and the summer. Right. And if you're going to be displaced from your home while a showing is going on, hadn't you rather it be for an individual who's more serious than just somebody saying, oh, well, I just want to look at this home and kind of see. And, you know, I may or may not be making a choice. And, you know, because there's a great inconvenience to living in a home and having to show it as well, because you have to stop, drop and load up and get the heck out of there while keeping everything in, you know, prime viewing condition. I call that my you do you approach. Like you do you, don't worry about everybody else. When you, when you're, when you put your house on the market with everybody else, you have more competition that you're competing against. If you can get your house on the market whenever you're ready for it, there is a possibility based on month that you may have less competition and, you know, you could get multiple offers in that fall or spring or winter, you know, time frame. So, because if you do all, if, do all the things that we talked about earlier. If you, if it's the perfect time for you to list your home, the perfect buyer will be out there when it is time to sell. And the same thing with purchasing the perfect buyer, you know, there's, there's a butt for every seat. It's, I had a, um, years ago, I had a neighbor, she was like, you know, 80 something years old. She, she was talking about selling houses and she's like, the great thing is there's a butt for every seat. It's just when it is time, the right home being available. And, you know, people, people have that zero moment of truth that I want to buy a home, you know, and it's not something that happens from June to August. You know, it happens all through the year. And, you know, why wait? If it's time, if it's time to go and you need more bedrooms, it's time to go. I remember when I, I sold my aunt's house, her um, home that her husband built, you know, right after they got married. She had this huge country kitchen, huge, huge. She had blue walls. She had red cabinets. She had this border that had, I think, uh, flags on it. And I told my aunt, I said, you're going to have to paint this. I don't think we're going to have a buyer for it. I said, I think we need to wait for the spring. And I don't remember when we listed it, but it wasn't the spring. It wasn't the summer. She goes, no, no, I'm going to put my house on the market now because I think there's a buyer out there for it. And I said, okay, well, you've got two weeks. And after two weeks, if we don't get a buyer, we probably need to paint or we need to give an allowance or something. The first person that walked in the door bought the house because they loved the red, white, and blue kitchen. Oh, my gosh. I'm so thankful you didn't get that decorating. Um, taste. Oh, I'd be over at your house. Then. That's got to change. We got to fix that. So I, th- from that point forward, I've been like, there is a buyer for every house on the planet. So, <laughs> Right. And, you know, there are buyers that are attracted to homes that aren't painted in that traditional beige and all just, you know, boring colors. They do like some color and some design and some thought behind the decoration of the interior of the home. And that's what makes resale homes so attractive is you can buy two different, you can look at two different homes in a neighborhood and they're completely different. And when you go to a builder and everyone is the same, then we like that personality. We like those layers, that history. So I will uh, for now ever say there's no bad or good market. It's like real estate, just always a wise investment. Um, you know, historically, we've always appreciated. If you look back, we've had ups and downs, but we've always appreciated. 
So stop time in the market, just buy. So what will buyers and sellers have to consider in 2004, or 2004, 2024? What will buyers and sellers have to consider? Wow, each other for once, you know? They're going to have to really come to the table and negotiate. And, you know, hopefully the right home appears to the right buyer at the right time and that they're going to respect each other a little bit more. and you know, negotiate, as you've just said, but hopefully they have agents that have better prepared them for the current market. True. Yeah. It's just, I think we've lacked that. Um, we've, we've lacked that since um, kind of the era of technology kind of came into our space. And then of course, these fast paper markets, we, it's a rush, 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 let's go, 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 not a lot of education. Hopefully they will have Uh, agents that will be there to support them and be able to negotiate for their best interest and stand on the side of the consumer that they are representing and, you know, find them that, you know, negotiation point where the buyer feels like they have gotten enough and that this home is perfect purchase time and that the seller feels that they've gotten a good deal for their home. And, you know, it's two diabolically different objections that they have to both, you know, find that happy medium. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find happy medium in real estate. It's, it's not easy, but it happens when you get the right people into the mix. It, you are correct. And the right people in the mix is the thing because the agents are all different in experience and in their ability to communicate. And I hope that they will, as a consumer in 2024, that a buyer and a seller will each demand something out of their agents that they have never done before, that they're more knowledgeable about the market, they're more educated, and that they don't pay attention to just the flash, that they make sure that they're more competent and they follow the rules. As we talk about geographically competent. Geographically competent, absolutely. And they know what they're doing. And, you know, just because you have a, your hairdresser has a cousin's whose dog walkers, whose third cousin has gotten their real estate license doesn't mean that's who you need to use. You need to talk to someone who's got the experience, who has put themselves into situations to learn in the classroom instead of taking field trips with the clients that they've represented and spent money and, you know, really knowing that they're not all equal. Professional advice comes at a cost. It does. It does. And I think buyers are going to have to go back to interviewing two or three agents and sitting down and, and understanding um, their unique value propositions. Because when someone walks in the door and says, well, your house is going to be syndicated you know, X, Y, and Z to these places, every brokerage on the planet does that. That's not unique. That's not different. That's not any, I'm not doing anything different than any other brokerage. But how is this agent going to be different and listen and, you know, come with expertise that the other person doesn't have? That's going to be the distinguishing factor. Every, every brokerage has the same ability to market. Right. It's just the, the concepts and the way that they're, agents interact with their clients that are completely different and are they listening to you are they helping you reach the goals or is this just 
a transaction to them? Is this just the, you know just a different house and you're going to fit into their systems or are their systems going to fit you? No, I think that they're also going to have to believe, uh, believe and understand that we're all consumers. You know, on the other side of the transaction, there is a consumer. Everybody has expectations. Like, and those, un- you have to voice those expectations to your professional because those unspoken expectations will sink that negotiation. And then that's just going to add chaos. It's going to, the chaos is going to be felt on the other side of the transaction, which will just make matters crazy. So in those buyer and seller considerations for 2024, we both know it's an election year. Do you think that we're going to see, you know, interest rates drop some more just because it is an election year, just to make it a little bit more sexy? So, you know, one party can say, hey, I did that. Or the other party can say, hey, I did that. And buyers can jump out there and be a little bit more happier and go to the poll. I don't know. I mean, I've always, I always look back at prior election years and seeing what happened in those election years um, as far as interest rates and, you know, housing. And from what I've seen historically, and we've, we're not living in historic times now as far as elections, but we don't know what we're going to get, right? So I think that I can't see major shifts from happening on, like, interest dropping or not dropping i think the status quo is good we're going to get to an interest rate we're going to stay there it's going to be kind of levels you know that's going to be our new norm and it's going to be you know the status quo we're not going to kind of shoot it out of the park with one person saying i did this versus the other person saying oh i will do that so consumers will basically look at the interest rates and accept it kind of like they had to do during the mask mandates and just accept it and just Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because I hate to go political, but I, I hate when a person, it doesn't matter what party, gets up and says, well, I'm going to do X, right? Well, the forget is there's another party that generally controls another part of, you know, the House or the Senate. But maybe they're not going to get to do X, right? There's no guarantee they're going to have complete control, right? And even if they have complete control, there are people that are human that are part of that party they don't believe equally across the board and you know then there's influence from the other side so I mean I just feel like it's hard to get wrapped up in what someone's going to do if they get elected. I think we're going to see a lot of messaging come through in our television and the way that we digest information and you know we've seen that with the news you know over the last two years going from we have inventory shortages to guess what? Interest rates are at all time high. Real estate's going to crash. And, you know, it's all that sensationalism. And I think it's going to continue and up and down. And, you know, as they we start seeing even more in the next couple of months, just predictions for what's going to happen. One, two, three, fourth quarter, all through 2024. And, you know, they're just going to, I think consumers are going to have to consider their lives more than all the, you know, sound bites. Yeah. Well, just like we talked about earlier, we talked about GDP, jobs, and consumer price index. And if you look at those reports right now, which I try to look at when they come out because they have a sway, you know, jobs report has been getting better and better, but it's flattening, right? So that's why interest rates haven't gone down. Um, GDP is getting better. It's better than it was. But what's happening is 
goods are being created, but they're not getting sold. So there's stuff on shelves that are sitting and businesses aren't taking out loans because it's too pricey, right? So those, I mean, those are things that, you know, all aid and interest rate, it's not just the interest rates high, yeah, but these other things have to kind of come into play and all level out. So when someone says, oh, I want the interest rates to drop, well, all these other um, tentacles have to kind of finagle in the right way to get those interest rates to come down. Yeah, aid in the environment to facilitate that lowering of interest rates. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so, you know, I hope interest rates go down. You know, there's a lot of people who want to buy houses and can't, right? I mean, if you if you look at the calculator at 8% at the highest it's been this year versus at 5%, I mean, it's an astronomical amount of difference just in principal and interest. Right. And when you have housing shortages like we do in Central Texas, then there's a situation where you have to have a certain amount of money to purchase a home, unfortunately. You don't have that whole accessibility for every price point. And interest rates increase. A lot of I can see that a lot of buyers are priced out of being able to buy here and are having to look at other markets and how long am I going to be on the road or can I find a different job in a different location? Because we just, we don't have that inventory and, you know, sellers with the pricing coming down a little bit, it's helping with some of that. But then we also have a situation where our taxes are going up, right? Um, Our tax rates are, tax rates are down, but the values have gone up, right? So it's an inverse relationship. So you get when you when the price comes back down, the the values will come back down. It takes some time, but they will for tax purposes, you know. But it's still um, expensive, right? It's not as as cheap as it once was. But I think one of the other things is open open communication, not just with your agent, but with your lend, lender and your agent, because um, you know you have to understand where you are in terms of price interest rate, tax, taxes, insurance. I mean, insurance has gone up substantially. You know, do you need concessions? You know, you need to often refine the strategy. And even if you're a seller, you have to understand this because you have to understand, do do I need to offer a concession? Do I need to ask for a concession now? Because now it's gotten to a point where I can't move forward without it. Um, You know, are you getting the most out of it? So um, I think those are going to be constant conversations. and that hasn't been a, a conversation that's had all the time, but I think we're going to get to that. So I left, I think, the last segment. <laughs> and because I left at um, last, because I want to pick on our colleagues, our agents, and um, say, say what they have to do better <laughs> in 2024. And um, I'm going to start off with saying, I think we're going to do a better job of explaining commissions to our cl- clients. And and um, the reason we're bringing, I'm bringing this up is, you know, the looming lawsuits, right? We, uh, if you're a consumer and have not been listening to the news because you choo- choose to tune out, you probably want to just you know, tune in a little bit and understand what's going on in the world. But, um, you know, everywhere people were turning, there's, um, you know, lawsuits happening against uh, commissions and who gets paid and how much and disclosure, 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 right? So. Absolutely. And I I honestly think that really with those lawsuits, the only people that are going to win out of them are the attorneys. The legal fees that they're going to make on there, I don't, you know, it's been kind of really ridiculous to see the number of 
sellers' uh, lawsuits and now buyer lawsuits over something that maybe the agent did not explain well enough is the fact that all commissions are negotiable and everybody has a certain point. It's not like they're going to, you know, turn around and, you know, sue the Lexus dealership because they didn't get the right negotiations on what they paid for the home. And um, I think that agents are going to have to do a better job on their messaging and understanding and communicating their worth to a consumer because I don't know a whole lot of people that are doing this for free. And everything has a cost. And, you know, I think agents buy into the fact that um, the look of success will breed success. And so they want the flashy car. And, you know, a lot of them that I know don't even have real diamonds, but it's a really showy piece that they're rock they're wearing on their finger. And it's like, mm, why? And they're, you know, they think that that's going to show them as successful. So they're going to jump in and get more consumers. And then consumers say, hey, you're making way too much money, which isn't the case either. I think our problem with explaining ourselves stopped when we started using more technology in our space. What I'm going to call it a DocuSign, right? So instead of sitting down with someone in front, right in front of them or faxing it to them or emailing it to them and, and saying, print this and sign it and send it back to me, Fax it back to me as we used to do. You're not explaining, you know, section from section. You're not saying this is what this means in terms of this contract. Um, you're not having recommended that they review it with an attorney. You're not explaining how the, you know, things work in real estate. You know, you're not, you're not explaining, like you said earlier, that commissions are negotiable. Nothing is set. So, I think that if we can get back into, and that's that's another thing with this, these lawsuits, you know, we still don't know what's going to come out of it, right? Is it going to be more disclosure? Is it going to be just a radical change of, you know, how who pays what commission? Like we don't know. It's still too early in the trend, in the process. But as a real estate agent today, if you are a member of the board, if you're listening to the news on a realtor generated, you know, style of news. You are hearing everyone tell you, I've been in multiple classes that the just the mere mention of commission and they say, oh, wait, you can't violate the Sherman Antitrust Act. And they have literally scared the pants off of agents to where they're so scared to talk about commissions. They are scared to talk about them with their clients. And they literally just Talk about it if the client objects to it and brings it up. They just want to, you know, they're just scared of it. And there's not a comfortability and, you know. It should be comfortable. You should just say that commissions are negotiable. And they should be able to talk about why their commission is this and what the other party is. If it's a listing side, they've got to talk about what the buyer's agent is doing. And, you know, if they're participating in the commission and it takes a village to sell a home. And it's not one person. I can't go show a house and deal with my sellers and be available for every buyer need that's out there. For one, I need the whole community. And we have to have that ability to have that conversation with the consumer about the commissions. And really, you know, other educators, associations, they throw out the Sherman Antitrust instead of educating people on how to 
talk about Well, this is how I've always explained it to my clients is like, it's like you want six degrees of separation. You want, you want another person to represent the other side and you, for that representation, you want to compensate them. Like you don't want me to represent both sides. One can't, and I can, but I can't. There's a way to do it, but I won't, right? I don't want to be the one person that is in the middle of both. You need neutral, independent representation on both sides. And there are countries that, that just don't have that, and it's chaotic. You personally don't like the question of impropriety, that you wouldn't do something wrong, so you don't like putting yourself in that position. You want to make sure that your client knows that you are representing their best interest. And that's what's different. Right. And there's some, you know, just as Robbie and I were in a class recently, and learned that someone there's some, in Texas, there's an intermediary and there's sub agency. And, and we learned that someone had practiced sub agency and everybody in the room was like baffled by it. It was ba- It was interesting to hear that it had happened because it's not happened since what the, 80s, 90s. So anyway, but we're kind of getting off track here, but I feel like even the education goes back up when we're educating more. And it's going to be hard to do because now the buyer, seller, homeowner, everybody has information at their fingertips. So it's hard to educate now than it was a couple of years ago because most people didn't have that information at their fingertips. But now these lawsuits are rolling out because of lack of education. Um, and I'm I'm saying that because that's what I'm seeing on the surface level. Consumers are going to have to talk to their agents. Where are you getting your education? How are you getting it? Are you taking an online class or, you know, where are you really spending time that's going to benefit me as your client? Right. And, you know, what's your value to me at the end of the day? Yeah, that value proposition, being well-educated. I mean, who wants to go to a surgeon that, you know, just went to, you know, night school and, you know, it was not accredited, you know, and you can't even sit for the bar to be an attorney unless you go to an accredited law school, you know, I can't teach myself how to be an attorney and, you know, oh, well, I'm going to, if I'm going to teach myself, I'm also going to proctor my own exam. And the last thing you want is somebody who, it, it, I got to have it open book. I mean, come on, sorry. This is, this is that passion point of mine that it's just like, come on. But the agents aren't going to do better until the consumer demands it. <laughs> consumer demands it. And it is past time for the consumer to demand. It's not about commissions. It's about representation. It is 100%, right? Because if they had been told about everything, including commissions, they would have upped their game on, on communication and representation. And then the, this would be a moot point. Absolutely. I'm the one who, when you go to the grocery store, I hate the self-checkout. Don't give me self-checkout. I want the experience. I want someone to deal with me at the cash register. Same way as I don't think I can, you know, wouldn't advise a single consumer to think, oh, let's DYI your real estate transaction. No, I don't pull my own teeth, you know? There's so many moving parts. I would, I mean, the people that I know that have done it in the past, they're quickly to say, I won't do that again. It was, it was a lot. They didn't have, they didn't know what to do next. They didn't have all the forms. They didn't know what to say. They, uh, excuse me, screwed themselves because they said something they weren't supposed to. They didn't understand that sometimes you keep things to your chest. There's things you can, you know, so. Financial lessons are expensive. They're very expensive. So I, I do not 
um, suggest people um, play around with trying to do something yourself with a lot of money at hand. I hear accolades about you all the time on the way that you do your comparative market analysis. And, you know, I talked to a lender the other, oh, it's been about a month. And the lender said, hey, you and Jennifer do everything different. And we don't do things like the normal average, I want to say, uneducated CMA creator agent. And you do things a little bit different with tighter numbers. We don't we don't do anything based on square foot. That's the thing. Is I think that agents have been taught wrong for a very long time that the square foot of a home is the end all be all. And price per square foot matters. It does, but it doesn't. I mean it matters in the the calculation, but not in the overall you know, emphasis of the market analysis. The improvements. Improvements matter. Exactly. Improvements matter. And getting properties like matter to be, you know, more like matter and understanding differences matter. And I think that when you have an agent like you and I, we have taken it upon ourselves to learn from an appraiser on what are you doing? And part of this is stemming from our mortgage background. We saw a lot of appraisals. You know, we see what they did, you know, how they made adjustments. But then when we got into real estate, it's like, okay, how do you duplicate this process? Because this process is is the end-all be-all for the mortgage side. And I want to replicate that on the, on the listing side or the buy side. So we don't have any fallout, whether it be if I'm representing seller or buyer, I don't want to have a short appraisal that falls short on either side of the transaction because it's problematic. It creates so much drama from either side of the transaction. And so when you have an agent who doesn't calculate based on solely based on price per square foot, you're going to get really close to what that appraiser comes in at because they have made adjustments properly. I, I do the same thing. And, you know, I teach it to other agents. And it's it's surprising that most of the agents out there are doing a quick CMA. And I tell them that's not even competent. And they look at me like I am from a third planet or something. They do not get it. And I tell them, uh, what if the seller gave them any concessions? You know, if they gave them ten thousand dollars on a four hundred thousand dollar house, it's still three ninety instead of four hundred, and you're already ten thousand dollars off the mark. And you know, it's about the differences in the home. If you walk to a builder and it's you know two hundred square feet different, you know, but it's the same finish out, it's the same condition, it's the same age of the home, it's more about price per square foot, and then you add stuff on top of it. But in the resale market. Price per square feet means very little when it's the home that you live in. It's the finish out. It's the way that it's been taken care of. It's just one part of the calculation. It's just one calculation too in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. It's edu- it's education and it's it's price per square foot and, and trying to get things alike. It's understanding boundaries. It's going too far. What happens in these markets that we've talked about when we've had shortages and we've had you know, too much inventory and homes that sit, you know, really long and, you know, some that didn't sit so long. Like, how do you pull your comparable data? Like there's, there's all of these little intricacies of the 
appraisal report and we're basically mirroring what an appraiser is doing just in our analysis and all that comes into play. I mean, I've, I've had conversations with agents that have gone over two major streets over when there's enough data to pull right here in the same little neat pocket neighborhood. And they're understanding why I'm staying in and then they're going out. They're coming up with a very different value. Right. I have some beautiful sellers that just sold their home here and they were moving to Utah or he has a new job there. And they just sent me the most amazing text message wishing that I would change my mind and come help them. I helped them buy that last house. I helped them sell it. And they just do not have an agent and can't find an agent. They say that worked the same way that I have worked for them. And I had to explain to them, it comes back to that competency of, you know, even geographic that you mentioned way earlier, Jennifer. It's the aspect of knowing what's going on in the market and knowing the difference in the homes. And that comparative market analysis will empower both a seller and an aid and a consumer that is buying a home if it's done right. They're floundering up there going, we need you, we need you. I'm like, I can't help you. Yeah, not licensed. <laughs> so... But it's the whole kit and the caboodle. It's the whole CMA, the experience, the, you know, education of what's going on in the market. And, you know, agents just can't sit there and dial for business and grab somebody and just say, hey, you know, let's list your home. You know, they have to work harder. They will. And I think that there's two other things that I think that um, agents are going to have to get really good at is one is um, we're always going to have sellers who are locked into a really low interest rate and they're going to want to move for whatever reason, job, whatever. And then, or they're just going to need to move because their family gets bigger. Right. So we're going to have to figure that out, how to guide them and help them understand and put them into conversations with lenders about, you know, maybe they take out an arm instead of a fixed loan for three years because interest rates are going to go back down again. Right. So there's, there's education from that front, but there's also um, education from um, understanding market trends and understanding trends are local. They're they're down to like a granular level to a neighborhood level. They're not they're not a national trend. There's nothing there's there's nothing at, um, there's not a national trend. Period. A trend is in a neighborhood or a little pocket of a neighborhood. You can have a trend that's very different in a bigger house in the neighborhood versus a smaller house in the neighborhood in the same neighborhood. So agents are going to have to, again, be educated on how to voice all of this to their clients. And it matters what you're doing in real estate, whether you're a seller or a buyer is um, how the market is performing because you have different goals. So the, even the answering the question, is, is the market a good time to be, you know, in real estate? It's, well, are you looking to buy or are you looking to sell? Different objectives. What area? But price point, all those things you and I take for granted that we just ask that agents don't do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's called honing your craft and really trying to provide the most value for a consumer with, and just, I just think everybody does it the same way and I wish they did. That's why I like you and we get along so well. That we do. We do. I wish, I wish there was a, a standard, like a minimum standard that had to be met, but there, there isn't. And that's why everybody's different oh we got 18 hours 18 hours to keep your license alive oh my goodness it's so hard for some agents just to grab those 18 hours 
Yes. And that's the thing is, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, um, you, know, you can look at the Czech website. You can look up your, your agent's name or their license number and see what education they've taken and see where it's coming from. If it's an online source, if it's an, you know, an in-person source, you may not be able to see that, but you you can tell, do they take more than the 18 hours? Like, what are they inform- What are they getting as far as education? Because they have to value it and invest back in it to grow. Because you can do the same thing over and over and over again wrong and not ever know it. True. That's very true. So, Robbie, 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 I would like to thank you for helping educate all of our listeners today. I think all this um, session has been amazing. And I'm grateful for your contribution. Thank you for allowing me to join. So if you should have any questions about what we discussed today or want more information about buying or selling, you can reach out um, to either of us. Our information will be in the show notes, including Robbie's information. I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening to us from the comfort of your own home or on the go. I hope that today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful if you would consider to follow or subscribe our podcast. Yet your support helps us reach a wider audience and to grow the Urban Connect community. If you have comments or questions about today's episode, please feel, feel free to contact me directly at jenniferurbanconnectpodcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback, and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Oshambo, and I look forward to connecting with you again on the first episode of 2024 of Urban Connect.